0: This episode of the Lunch Break Podcast is brought to you by the sales developers. They believe that outbound sales requires a consistent commitment to the process, and they understand the tedious and time-consuming task of sourcing, hiring, and onboarding new sales talent. Besides providing premium quality contact data, outbound prospecting services and expert consulting to consistently fill your sales buckets they have built the ultimate sales enablement tool UpLevel. it lets you up level your skills by managing all of your playbooks and scripts in one place still writing your favorite opening lines on sticky notes are your training and guides in a hundred different folders do you wish you had a way to develop a playbook to actually enable your team with up level, you can easily do it all. Whether you're a rep or a leader, your job just got a whole lot easier. Start for free today and you can go to thesalesdevelopers.com backslash up level. You are now tuned into the lunch break podcast, where true
1: sales pros go to tell their stories.
0: This is episode 45 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. My name is James Bodden, and today's guest for episode 45 is Hillman Sori, Managing Director at Close Loop, author of four amazing sales books speaker, consultant, and all around amazing sales professional. And on today's episode, we dive into how Hillman got started in sales. He shares some really amazing stories about how he got started and some of the frontline work and jobs that he did. And then we talk about his transition into leadership, the mistakes that he made as a leader. We talk about his growth And his recognition of the things that he enjoyed most about being a leader. And how that led him into getting into training. And then eventually coming to a point in his career where he decided that he wanted to go out on his own. He wanted to start writing books. And Hillman is somebody who just brings so much energy. And and you're going to hear it in this episode. His energy for this sales game is infectious. And I had a blast interviewing him. I am certain that you will have a blast listening to the episode. I know typically I include a sales tip at the beginning of these podcasts, but honestly, folks, this one is so good and so entertaining all the way through. I'm not going to include a snack break sales tip this time. I'm going to tell you, if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing right now, just wait until you do. Before we get started, I am also extremely excited about the return of the mindful minute from the mindful sales rep himself, Keith Cordero.
1: Hey everyone. This is Keith Cordero with another mindful minute brought to you by the mindful sales rep. It's been a while, but we are back. So let's continue our discussion on the noble eightfold path with the fourth step, right action. This refers to promoting moral, honorable and peaceful conduct. It suggests that we should abstain from destroying life from stealing dishonesty, and that we should also help others to lead a peaceful and honorable life in the right way. So how does that relate to sales? Well, at times as sales professionals, we may be tempted to act from a point of selfishness disguised as self-preservation. We may tell ourselves that if we don't book this demo or close this deal, we won't hit quota, which could lead to not getting our bonus and ultimately may affect our quality of life. This may lead us to dilute the truth with ideas, concepts, and phrases that we think the customers need to hear in order to push them through the sales cycle. So today, before sitting down to bang out 100 prospecting cold calls or demo presentations, take a few moments to reflect and remember that at the core of our role as sales professionals is the idea of compassion and service.
0: So great to have those mindful minutes back on the Lunch Break podcast Hope you enjoyed that and now without any further ado i am going to get into episode 45 of the lunch break I'm super podcast excited about my guest story. today a because uh, he's somebody that has directly influenced my sales career because he's written some really great books and he's somebody that connected with on linkedin and and is just it's obvious the passion that this guy has for the sales game so without any further ado Thanks for coming on. I've got Hillman Sori here. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm I'm fired up. I'm fired up to get started because we have been going back and forth on LinkedIn. I love the content that you guys are doing on LinkedIn and want to start this thing off the same way that I start all of the podcasts off by asking, how did you get started in sales? Oh, man. How did you find this game? How much time have we got? <laughs> hey, that's why I keep these things long form, right? I've tried to make them 20, 30 minutes. It never works out that way. And it's my fault because that's the first question I ask.
2: I'll try not to bore people with, you know, when I was a toddler dancing through the lilies and, and drinking of tales. But I do, I do have to say one thing that I noted with a huge smile when you uh, when you introduced the show is that you said this is episode number 45. So, for people who've read my books, they'll understand that the only number that would have been better than 45 for my episode would have been 23. And I think most people will get that reference.
0: <laughs> you know what? And it's very interesting. I've had this happen. Uh, I recorded an episode 42 uh, the other week, and uh, the person that I recorded with was a big uh, Star Trek fan. And apparently in that world, 42 means you know a lot so it's been cool like the episode numbers have been aligning with the guests this is great
2: does that work with the podcast man i love it yeah
0: the universe is working in our favor here
2: (laughs) well let me let me answer your question so um i have had a long and steamy relationship with sales um i will say so i remember going back as far as i can remember it's one of those things i actually i don't know if you've ever played backgammon you ever played backgammon oh yeah Okay, you know how the backgammon set comes in this really cool little briefcase-looking thing, right? Yep. My father was not a salesperson. He's a, a health management professional. But he would leave to work and go to these things called meetings. And I was like, man, what's a meeting? I don't know. But he puts all this cool stuff in this leather thing, walks out of the house, and comes back with money. So I used to sit around my house. And I mean, this is going back to as long as I can remember. I would sit around the house, I would steal a legal pad from my father and I'd pop it into the, the backgammon board. I took all the pieces out of there. And I'd walk around the house to different rooms and I'd have meetings, right? So oh. I was, this is really cool. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing in these meetings, but you know, I'm sitting there and you know, I got my stuffed animals and we're having conversations. <laughs> so then I grew to wanting the money, right? My, my allowance wasn't enough to like, get me through my, my social life. Like, yeah. At age like 12, but I had a lawnmower, I had a shovel. I grew up in Chicago, I had a lawnmower and I had a shovel, and I had a bunch of friends. So I started going around the neighborhood and we started this company called Kidco. And ironically, Jeff Bezos owes owes his logo design to me because we actually had business cards printed, and the company was called Kidco, all jobs from A to Z. And we literally had that arrow from A to Z. No way! Man. one day I'll sue him for it. You know, when do you have the time? That day has a, Yeah, when I get around to it, when I get around. i will I'll use it for now. I think he needs it. You know, he's got a lot, a lot of money in that brand. But, um, <laughs> so I went around my neighborhood, and I was fortunate in that we lived in the neighborhood where people had lawns and they had uh, driveways. And I just recruited a bunch of my friends, and I would go do the sale. We actually, I'm lying. We didn't have a shovel. We had a snowblower. <laughs> um, so, but I would walk up to the door with a shovel. And I'd say, you know, hey, Mr. Peltman, I, I just wanted to see if you need the driveway cleaned. I just said cleaned. You know, yep. A little mistaken, but I just said cleaned. Yeah. Um, you know, and, of course, you know, you see these three kids. You're like, yes, oh, that sounds fantastic. It's holiday spirit in Chicago. So you'd say yes, you'd pay me 25 bucks, and then, you know, the snowblower would kick in, and I'd clean that thing in about two minutes. Anyway, and then we'd move down the block. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's great, man.
2: Indoctrination to sales. I really liked it. I didn't call it sales. I just called it making money. It's like having conversations with people, tr- exchanging services, and making money, which I really liked. And I had a yep. friend uh, who remains a dear friend named Kim Sawyer, who was a couple years older than me, who had this summer job working for this place called Fifth Media Marketing, which was a uh, telemarketing organization. There was no such thing as sales development back then. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: yeah, it was called telemarketing. Let's be real.
2: <laughs> sitting in this sweaty ass room, we had these things called leads, which were literally on these pink slips that were typewritten. I don't know where the hell these things came from, but they had a name and a phone number and then it had NADA BY were the choices you had. N-A was uh, not available, D-A was didn't answer, B-Y was busy, and the grid had six opportunities to reach a person. So what do you learn? You start learning, it's not just one touch, right? But I got in there and I crushed it. I just loved it. We would Mm. call, this was in the summer, and we'd start calling on the East Coast. We'd move our way to the Midwest, and then we'd eventually get over to the West Coast by the end of the day, and I would change my accent for wherever I was calling. (laughs) Don't ask me to do this right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was my next question.
2: I know it was. (laughs) For wherever I was calling, to do what I didn't know then was establishing some level of rapport, right? Yeah. But the amount of volume of conversations, I think I had to call about 100 people an hour. Every wow. hour, all day long at age 14. Um, but I loved it. I loved it because I made yeah. money. <sighs> I became the top producer, I was hitting my number, I knew how to get to my number really early. And I got to my number so early that I started like using the phone to call friends around the country. During the rest of the hour, and so I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I won't go through you know job by job. But um, those those two really set the tone. And then from there, I went into technology sales, and you know into management as a VP of sales and marketing for a web security firm. I've worked on the other side with media in as as an associate publisher of a media organization. And obviously, um, I left that and became a Sandler trainer. In the Bay Area uh, when I realized wow there's actually a science to this and there's actually a formula and a process that can be repeatable and a system you can use to effectively uh, to, to more effectively create predictability in the sales process and even more than that to develop some professionalism around your career instead of being someone that's just kind of foraging for frameworks and trying things that may or may not work and when they work you're not quite sure why they work you're just Holding on, to, it's like me riding a horse. I'm not anybody who's on a horse laughs their ass off because I know you got to hold the reins, and I know that the horse can feel what you're feeling, but I can never get rid of my feeling of terror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the horse is like, oh, I got a live one now, and takes off, and I'm just holding on for dear life. I feel like a lot of times when someone doesn't have a sales process or is not utilizing a, a methodology or a science around their sales process, they're holding on to the reins, and sometimes that horse will go, and sometimes you're like, come on, let's yeah. get this. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I mean it makes complete sense because what's unique? Well, maybe it's not unique. Yeah, it's not unique because I'm sure in every profession it's like this. But um, you know, there's varying levels of buy-in uh, on the individual's level, uh, or you know, on the individual part, right? So you could have a sales job, and you could just be going in to clock in and clock out and make it to the end of the day and make it to the weekend with really no thought about like why I'm doing what I'm doing. Is there any methodology behind this? Is there, you know, I'm just a, a warm body, right?
2: Um, it, that completely. And you know what happens there is you end up with, it's the difference, you used a good word. It's the difference between having a job and having a profession. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that For salespeople in particular, there is, sure, there is immense gratification from the standpoint of compensation in in, in, in the form of money, right? You can make a ton of money in a ton of different uh, industries, and, and that's fantastic. However, it comes with a price. It comes with the price of being constantly evaluated, constantly rejected, having to constantly calibrate for the variable that is another human being or multiple human beings inside of the sales process. And so it's a lot of work. So I believe that the people who approach sales as a job are doing themselves a little bit of a disservice because it can be incredibly frustrating and you can burn out. If instead you approach it as a profession and you do what most professionals do, think about professionals, right? They go get coaches. They study frameworks. They do perfect practice around repetitions that some expert has told them are the thing to do. You know, you look at a Tiger Woods, you look at somebody who's a singer, you look at Bill Gates. I'm watching this special. It's fantastic. That's on... uh, I don't know if it's HBO or Showtime anyway, it's on on one of those. And it's a special, it's like, I'm paraphrasing the name of the title, it's something like Inside the Mind of Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. Inside Bill's Brain on Netflix. Inside Bill's Brain, yeah, thank you. Yes. he's reading like 15 books a week. All the time, the only thing he carries with him is a bag of books. A bag of books, right? He's not dabbling in code. I mean, the guy didn't become like the richest man on the planet by just kind of like, looking for tips and tricks on how to create software the man immersed himself and he does it in the form of a of a profession which then correlates to his passion which then becomes your life's work like i was seeing a bunch of posts just recently you know kind of things happen in fits and starts on social media and there's last last week there was this whole kind of thing around um uh your perception of, of value personally and around your commitment to profession and your goals and the alignment around work-life balance and these types of things. And there's this thing around just like, it's all one. I truly Mm -hmm. believe that I've arrived there with what we do. Uh, I think uh, Corey actually posted something about a month and a half ago where he said he thinks thinks that he's had the best day of his professional career. And people were like, why, why? And it wasn't like a thing. It's just meaning that, you know, you've reached that precipice where there's an alignment. And it doesn't mean you're a workaholic. I'm not trying to say, you know, you gotta be part of the hustle culture choose your path, but what you do should embody who you are and should allow you the thoughtful expression therein and provide you with the challenges that at the end of the day, you come back with lessons learned. You come back with some kind of rewards. You get a dopamine hit in the morning that makes you feel like I'm energized to go do this thing again. I actually get to go do this all day long, not I have to hit the grind, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and really it's, that's it. That's what all of that boils down to is the mindset shift from I have to do this to I get to do this. Absolutely. And I would argue that you could do that at any time. You don't oh, yeah. have to wait until uh you've you've reached some level because to be honest, you know, if you think about and and I'm sure <laughs> you you uh, have experienced this in your career when you're at that point where you know, it seems pretty far away, right? The, the goals you want to attain, the, the aspirations that you have, um, and you're at the beginning of your career, it seems like, God, there's this long road that I have to go on, and I have to put in all this hard work, and I have to do all these things, right? Well, you know, changing your mindset that early to I get to do all these things because then that leads me to this next stage where I get to do the, these. Uh, gosh, I mean, I wish I had realized that years ago, right? I mean, because it would just smooth out the journey uh, immensely.
2: <laughs> I agree completely. I have, um, you know, I arrived there uh, probably about eight to 10 years ago where it is not what you have to realize is it is the activity, it is the action that changes your mindset right Mm -hmm. it is not the mindset that's going to come around i could tell you you know hey james did you hear that uh uh in the news this morning while they were talking about this whole idea of impeachment they also mentioned that the Hubble telescope that new one that's out there has actually identified that the earth is not oblong it is indeed flat there's a place (laughs) where it falls off over siberia right and you'll be like yeah right hillman that's not because I can't change your mindset about it. You've known for however many, you know, decades you've been alive that the earth is oblong. And unless I take you to space and point out the cliff that falls off. I'm not believing you, man. Sorry. Which which Putin has been holding, you know. (laughs) Yeah. along (laughs) with everything else. Yeah. yeah, You're not going to believe it, right? I have to take you there, right? Mm -hmm. So the way to take yourself there is to do something different. And that something different can be just changing your language. You know, neuro-linguistic processing is really important. If you just wake up every morning and go, I get to go try to reach out to 50 people each hour or each day to see if there's a problem I can solve. That's a pretty privileged position. Instead of, I have to make 50 cold calls or I have to send 250 emails, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. I completely believe that. And when you look at it from that vantage point, um, I think that it does something, it changes something in your brain.
0: Truly, truly. And, and and it allows you to... Really, what I've found is it allows you to deal with a lot more bullshit. Because because then, you know, you're um, you're gliding past things. Things are rolling off your back. And not that you're not... You're ignoring anything or not handling things it's quite the opposite right you have more of a capacity to do that and and um i think it comes for different ways for different people and and you're gonna uh, find that moment one way or another and and one thing i'm curious about and, and this is um you know not directly to, uh related to what we've just been talking about but i was thinking about it um you know as we were going down that road it's In your career as as a salesperson, and you know that growth that you go on, the the goals you set, attaining those goals as you kind of glided over in the beginning, you know, I went on to VP of Sales and and some some pretty big things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, At what point did you decide, okay, I'm gonna turn my focus from my own journey and my own growth and start helping the sales community? because you you're you're uh i mean you've written s- several books that that are incredibly actionable and just so obviously focused on like actually helping somebody do something better that uh i mean and that was the first thing that i noticed when i read um the 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 first book i got my hands on uh the sales enablement playbook and it was like gosh you know this is a one of the first pieces of literature I've read about the subject ever and I can understand it and it's actionable. So I I just wanted to kind of dig into that, um, that, that, that moment where you kind of decided, Hey, I'm going to start doing this, this writing books thing.
2: (laughs) The the moment was uh, sitting on a mountain in the Lotus position in Bali. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: a butterfly rested his <laughs> hand on my shoulder and said, write books.
2: Yeah. I, I like to use the term alighted upon my shoulder. <laughs> uh, yes, that, yes. That is essentially what happened. It's <laughs> semantics, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, it's the, the, I guess life is made up of moments. Unfortunately, my memory is not comprised of them. Um, I'll yeah, tell you right. what, this is what happened. So here's what happened, uh, a couple things. First off, I have to first thank you thank you thank you for your feedback just now um, regarding the books and the terms that you use to define them the adjectives are precisely what we intended in writing them um, actionable, easy to understand approachable defining the defining the landscape, all of that because they are not written as a um, uh, a self-congratulatory effort of, of academia, right? I'm like, I now know some things, and let me just try to be pedantic and position them in such a way where you might be able to attain them, but, you know. Or, nor are they just like, I've got an idea. I've got this idea. I have no validation behind it, but I'm going to put it out there in this way that is highly strategic and theoretical, and you'll probably agree with my idea, and I won't take any real real uh, sides here, right? So that I can yeah. build the masses, But ultimately, you put the book down and nothing in your life will change. Like, that was not the goal. The whole idea is to be actionable. And I have to say that they were, the the whole effort towards writing books, towards being a trainer initially early on in my career, even moving into management, and now running this organization that's helping people and organizations grow, is entirely self-motivated. It is. It is because I did a lot of work early on in my career, late 20s, Right? Whereas I guess some people might not consider that early on. I consider it early on. I'm I'm, I'm a little older than that now. But um, (laughs) In my late 20s, I arrived at the fact where I understood that you have to do, you have to focus on your zone of energy, if nothing else. I know people far smarter than me have used different terms for this. I call it just your energy. When I'm coaching someone, I'll be like, James, what energizes you? And we'll just, I'm not like, just not just with work, what energizes you? And you might say to me, I like to engage with people. I'm highly curious. I like to ask questions. Um, I like repeatable processes where I can see myself getting better and better and better and benchmark against that. I like to, I'm making all these things up, right? But yeah, these are the types of things that energize people apart from the work that they're doing. So what I did is I looked at my corpus of knowledge and I looked at the things that I got energy out of and I got energy out of coaching people. I got energy out of people doing well and, and playing a part in that. I get energy out of researching and being able to take things that are complex and esoteric and boiling them down into something that is analytical, measurable, and contains a framework, but is also easy. I derive energy out of that. When I was a kid, it's so funny. I was telling Corey about this recently. Um, It's very interesting that we use so many frameworks and the way in which we build our books, because uh, I'll let Corey share with you on another program his background (laughs) around it. But I created games as a kid. So I would sit at home and I would take like, you know we only had board games. There, there wasn't a lot other than like Atari and there was a Sega or something like that out <laughs> in the world of, of video games. But we had tons of board games. I would take the board and flip it over <clears throat> to, mm. the, to the blank side and I'd create a game. I created one that had to do with like, my, my friends wanted to learn how to do, uh, how to uh, understand how budgets were applied in this. Is, I was such a freaking nerd. <laughs> wow i love it i'm about to share this we wanted to understand like gdp and how companies and nations allocated their gdp to ensure the sustenance of their population while still preserving the integrity of their so this is like advanced risk
1: yeah how
2: old are you at this point i would (laughs) i just
0: want to get the full picture
2: here i was about 12 I, I love eleven or twelve. Keep so going. I wanted, I wanted to take it beyond military to like you know like some other constructs of like you yeah. gotta feed people, your people have to have water, like you know whatever. So mm-hmm, we created mm-hmm. the game, and there were simpler games that we created too. But the other the other process of being the game master meant that like I could create the rules because so, I really like to win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, James, I didn't tell you. You're not allowed to make that
0: <laughs> last
2: minute. I was not the most fun kid to play with. Yeah, the worst. Right? But but the idea was, like, I wanted to take these things that were complex that I'd read about in, like, encyclopedia or I'd read about or I'd learn in school and make a game out of it or make something that was engaging where we still learned and we got a chance to actually execute on it. Because I I didn't know this at the time, but I I felt that, like, if you can do it, you understand it better. So all of that, fast forward, you know, in my career, I started doing these types of things. When I was managing folks, right? I started doing these types of things for myself. It started off um, in in the web world. I didn't start off in management. I started off selling in in tech sales. And I would do things to gamify my own world. And then the person sitting next to me is like, Helen, what's that thing you're doing? And I'm like, well, let's gamify it for the four of us.
0: Yeah. And we'll
2: see how it works. And so we just started creating these games. And then we start taking the the input and the feedback from the people that we're talking to. And then we start sharing... This knowledge is all tribal knowledge, they call it now. Back then, we Mm -hmm. just, you know, put it all on like a notebook and we started (laughs) leveraging that to see what would work. And then when people got hired, we'd go, look, James, you just started. Don't do that dumb thing that we did for the first six months because it doesn't work. Here's what we found works for these people. Try it out, right? And so just being part of that, I found myself kind of rising to a leadership position and having a lot of success. And then, of course, you know, they, the managers look around and they promote salespeople to our Peter principle of, of, you know, least competency. And they made me a manager. And then I became <laughs> yeah. a terrible manager, you know, because those skills I used as a salesperson are like Jordan as a coach, right? It's like, you kidding me? Like, yeah. Yeah. he was great on the phone. So I'm running over there snatching the phone from people going, James, do it just like that. And you're like, well, what the hell did you do? right well, that's then, the best manager in the world that's yeah. magic love that person that yeah, man or woman yeah. is fantastic just watch <laughs> what i do here let me put on my super superman or superwoman cape and let me fly <laughs> off and do my thing here where'd me, you go why aren't you here right
0: yeah let me uh let me dial in on this yeah i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna need to dial in
2: right right yeah. right totally uh-huh. A little spritz of cologne here
0: i go <laughs> <laughs> let's let's close this thing let's close this
2: thing (laughs) where's my theme music oh gosh yeah but yeah so i became a really terrible manager and i loved being a terrible manager because it was a constant struggle yeah it was like and i and i wanted to be good because i had passion around it and i felt i was letting people down and i'm saying i loved it in hindsight at the time it was grueling Mm -hmm. and There were no coaches. I didn't know that there were things like sales trainers or sales coaches or sales methodologies and things like this. So I started foraging and trying to find things. And I found some things that worked. I did that thing that people do, which I think is a terrible mistake, where you take little bits and pieces from everywhere. You got to understand methodologies and systems are methodologies and systems. You cannot take apart your car and plug in a disposal, a garbage disposal. It's a different system, right?
0: Yep. Unless you're driving a Delorean and the disposal powers it with compost.
2: What's yeah. capacitor, baby? Yeah, yeah, If you want to go back in time, it's a whole different, whole different side, <laughs> whole different <time>. But uh, <laughs> why is it always a Delorean that they take and turn into something crazy?
0: Because that you know, there's no other use for it in everyday life, right? I mean, you're not going to drive <laughs> that thing to a grocery store. It doesn't even Do have you a trunk. Know
2: John Delorean was from the community I grew up in. Really. Yeah, in in the North Shore burbs of Chicago. Um, But yeah, anyway, that's that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so anyway, you get the point, yeah. But uh, it is a long-winded answer to say that the curiosity and the energy derived in um, helping people grow and putting systems together, I think that there are people who have long careers as individual contributors who it's it's themselves and their golf ball, and they Mm -hmm. are highly motivated just to do that. I've always been, I've always done team sports. You know, I played basketball, I played football. And even though swimming is, is sometimes perceived as an individual sport, you're really part of a team. And I was on, you know, the, the relay oriented uh, the sales, sales leg. I'm yeah. sorry, sw- uh, swimming team. Um, but anyway, uh, so I've always liked that team thing and how we level up as a group and how no one's left behind and we all are responsible for each other and we all attain great heights and go on. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've got a nice diaspora of folks that I've worked with either as clients um, from sales training or coaching or as coworkers who are all over the place doing great things from starting businesses to running organizations to even having switched careers. But leveraging all that stuff that we do in sales, which is really just about human uh, human nature and, and uh, communication anyway.
1: Yeah, I
0: think it's and and it's interesting because. People do have natural tendencies that that um you know the normal thing that happens with successful salespeople, like you mentioned, where they get moved into a management role, and these things that made them a superstar individual contributor don't necessarily make them or actually hardly ever make them successful as a leader or a coach. And you're met with that struggle and you either hate it and you want to go. Running back to the driving range with you and your golf ball, or you're like you and you're you you are are, are on a quest for more uh knowledge on how to get better and I think it, it it sounds like you're just trying to save us all that time right because it's it's you're completely right and and this is something that never gets talked about, and I'm so glad it's been brought up because I believe. 98% of salespeople out there that are focused on making it a profession and are trying to level up and are trying to get better every day yeah. are doing exactly what you say. And they're taking stuff from every little bit of all the information that's out there now. Right. Cause it's not like it was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. It's everywhere.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, you know the problem with that, um, The problem with that is that back when it, so, okay, the the, the upshot is that you can hop online and you can find a ton of stuff, right? Immediately. You can search on Google for, you know, email subject lines and you'll get a panoply of stuff, right? The problem with it is that it's not curated and it's not necessarily good. Back when you actually had to write a book, and I'm not just saying this because I write books, but back when you actually had to write a book, You had to thoughtfully conceive of a process that you were presenting, defend that thing that you were presenting, be able to substantiate the origins and the credibility around that thing that you were presenting, and then have some sort of a thesis that people could walk away with, right? Now, you could sit down. I mean, in the time that I'm saying this, I could grab my phone, hop on LinkedIn, post something that's like, great trick for getting people on the phone. You know, don't tell them your name. And then, like, someone's going to go do that. And here's the thing, though. It may work. The problem is I don't want to create this universe of tips and tricksters because mm. and tricksters, there's a couple things that happen. One is you'll burn out. Eventually, it's not going to work. Three, you're never going to develop mastery because you don't know why it worked. There's sometimes yeah. I'm looking at something online, and I'm like, that is great, and it is a great application of this theory in psychology or behavioral science. And if you understand the theory – then James and Ryan and Sean and Hillman and Corey and whomever else can actually come up with their own thing that works that's based in this theory. Yeah. Which does a couple things. One, it does not dilute so quickly because everybody's doing the same damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I I love predictable revenue. The challenge is, you know, Aaron put out this, I I mean, he, uh, he put out this fantastic tome that, uh, was great from a systematic perspective that everyone took completely literally. <laughs> you know like, I mean? like
0: completely literally. Completely
2: literally, it's like there's no ability to say, wow, I see what he's doing here. Let me go adapt that to my organization while keeping the rails on <laughs> that have already been defined, right? No, that wasn't done. So, so uh, I mean, you know, that's the challenge, right? Is that there's so yeah. much out there, but there's no filter and there's no, up, I mean, the upvotes are likes.
0: And yeah.
2: likes Don't necessarily correlate to efficacy
0: oh <laughs> uh, yeah there it's dangerous it's it's a dangerous it's like a it's a great thing and i'm i'm so excited that it's this way as opposed to the opposite where there's lots of people that are engaged about you know and i i you know i believe that people are well-intentioned right with the guy the people who are doing the post and the tips and the quick oh, things sure. that are just off the top of their head you know it's not uh, with, with bad intentions or, or to purposely cloud up our brains. But the reality is you got to be careful and you okay. got to be uh, strategic and, and, you know, um, not just scroll through. Oh, cool. I'm going to try that today. Oh,
2: nice. And I'm going to try that today. You know, I'll add something else. You have to level set on the fundamentals, you cannot just start with the tips because the foundation upon which you're using this, these tips um, doesn't, I'll give you an example. I'm looking around my house right now and I remember thinking that I could paint my kitchen, right? And I endeavored to, and I've painted tons before. I've had little apartments in the past, you know, like yeah. whatever, what's the big deal about painting this big kitchen in my house, right? no big deal you tape the thing off <laughs> and you do whatever blah blah yeah, i you know, know the stuff. process i know the process <laughs> i have no freaking practice though right uh. so i get up there and it actually you know that thing that i looked at online is done by somebody whose stroke is really expert because they've painted thousand kitchens right over They're and over and over right? again they know how to i don't have any faux things going on but they know how to do like a faux i don't know what those things are but you know what i mean they know how to do yeah. these things Yep. And so I, I started doing it and it didn't work. So what did I do? I looked for another trick. I looked for another tip. I looked for another whatever. Eventually I was like, okay, this is this is not good. This is, you know, this is awful. Actually, I'm not the one who said it. My wife is. Well, so, <laughs> so I was moved off the ladder. And we got someone in who knocked it out in about two and a half days. But here's the other thing with respect to the sales profession: is there is too much emphasis and focus on the next big thing. Mm. I think that what people need to understand. As it stands right now, until there's like some AI procurement, you know, bot that's on the other end of a phone, which is probably coming. And that's another thing about that AI discussion around whether or not salespeople are going away. Like you realize like if AI for sales is created, there will be AI for buying too. Like there's, still be- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not happening in a freaking vacuum. That's why those arguments I think are completely moot and ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, really, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not uh, unilateral development. But the thing here is, instead of looking for that next big thing, the challenge in doing that is that you're not focusing on your core, Mm. right? You can't just look for the next tip because something's not working. You've gotta have a core that even allows you to take that tip and dump it into your system to say, is this thing effective, right? And to help understand how that's working. I think though that the newness, because posts are new and because really smart people have created social media in such a way that we're drawn in and drawn to look and it's this producer consumer platform which is brilliantly engaged we're inspired to look for that next big thing but here's the thing here's my point and then I'll shut up on this note obviously you struck a chord with some passion here <clears throat> but here's the thing about the next big thing human beings do not evolve that quickly so if you have a respiratory system and a limbic system Sales is pretty much the same as it was 100 years ago, if you're talking to a human being. Sure, technology will allow you to leverage different means of approaching different parts of the brain and different ways to uncover pain and different questioning methodologies and different ways to inspire someone to action and create urgency. However, if you master the constructs around how human beings operate and how we are motivated towards reward and away from pain, then you can refine your process to be effective. It's not a tip or a trick thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so hard because the very nature of sales is what's next, what's new, new month, new quota. It's always the next thing, right? And, and, oh, okay, we crushed quota last month. So now we have to figure out some other new way to crush that quota, right? Right. And it's all about, so it's it's almost inherent in the way that we're kind of programmed to operate, but in reality it's and it, i, I I'm, as i'm thinking about this, I think about like me playing basketball right yeah. so um i basketball was one of those sports that I never played uh on a team in an organized fashion, so I never got coaching on the fundamentals right so shaping and yeah. yeah. passing and so all of the bad now i've played lots of basketball i've played tons of pickup basketball right but if you were to put me on a team with four other guys who've played organized basketball not even together but just in general they're going to be doing things that i'm not familiar with right (laughs) and and you know for me it would be like saying okay well I've never played organized basketball, but I'm going to go buy some really cool sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I have the arm compression sleeve. And <laughs> sleeve. you know what I'm saying? And yeah. the, the knee brace just to right. be safe. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be on the same level as these other guys. Right. Because I just found the newest things. Dude. I don't have any of the fundamentals, but I, I have I have all the new stuff. Right. So this is good. We're good. Right. Dude.
2: I use this analogy all the time. I'm from Chicago, so you know you've got some of the best street ball. I know Detroit people are gonna be upset with that, but that's <laughs> some of the best. Some of right, some yep. of the best yep. in the country street ball. And you had like this dynasty of, of yeah bulls, right? <clears throat> and they are two separate games. They are Completely. entirely separate games. So the question is, do you want to be the street baller, right? That's that's <laughs> really rogue. And it's like, you can't hold me back. I'm going to do my thing. And I got lots of flair. I got a lot of flavor. I'm not totally consistent, but I'm a lot of fun to watch. Right? Yep. yep. Or do you want to be the professional that can work inside of a team and, and, and create success repeatedly and in an ongoing fashion? Yeah. I, I agree with that. And it's truly, I mean, I am not disparaging the, the former, but I will say that for longevity in this role, and if you are working inside of an organization that's scaling, or if you are a manager that is relying upon um, onboarding folks and ramping them and then ongoing, keeping them successful and moving them through from maybe an SDR to BDR to AE to enterprise, whatever it might be kind of emotion, you cannot solely rely upon tips and tricks.
0: Mm, I love it. And, yeah. and it's, it's all based on that initial decision, right? The initial decision of, hey, is this a job? Am I going to go rogue? Am I going to just kind of... Because um, in my experience, a lot of places you get to a a sales role and you might, before you start, be ready to be that next level. Okay, this is a new gig. I'm going to be professional. This is my next step. And then you get there and realize it's a shit show. There's no process. You know, the most successful rep has a secret notebook that he keeps in his desk that is the key to his success and everybody else is feed and leads to that guy somehow or something yeah that's uh, and, right um so then you're that's when it's most important to identify yeah. a framework and and um i think without being uh, i it's just the truth the books you've written provide those frameworks and you i have, have to softball. I, i'm just saying Take i'm just softball, saying hey, you know, i don't i try not to do this
2: <laughs> but if it's the truth here's, here's the thing Here's the thing. I love that you just said this, and I know that you don't know this um, because we haven't announced it yet. But the next book that is coming out within the next four to five weeks, mm. um, it, there, there's a manuscript over here that, that I that I'm red lighting at the moment. Is <laughs> 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 called hiring, onboarding, and ramping salespeople. Mm. and this book has taken this book was conceived a while ago it's taken a while to write and the motivation might be higher than any of the other books we've ever written because it is such a shame to see somebody who has um great passion for the idea of sales goes through what is now an onerous process to get a gig as a salesperson you know
0: what Mm -hmm.
2: i mean yeah come into an organization that has no clearly defined structure to make them successful, that beats them to death with product knowledge over the first two weeks, not letting them touch the phone, right? Because you don't know enough about our product to call anybody yet, you know what I mean? Doesn't have any clear process, has tons of freaking tools that they're also going to train you on. You've got logins on your first day to 15 different tools, where here's your data, here's your outbound, here's your CRM, here's your this, that, and the other, here's how you scratch your butt, like all this other stuff, right? And nothing that is material to how that person moves into the organization in a way where they are teed up and primed for success and how that person, not just to onboarding, right? Because a lot of times you got the sales enablement function that's responsible for onboarding you and then they're like, okay, they're wiping the hands. Bye. Bye, Cause Next back. class. Yes, exactly, right? And then ramp, right? How do we get you there? Because if you can do that effectively, I think that there are some really bright people who would stick with sales and the person who has the biggest challenge in my mind is often the one that has the greatest opportunity because they are not the person who comes from the historical or classic background of sales they're a person who comes to i think of this one woman in particular who came from a um, museum management background that was her degree in yeah. museum management and realized hey you know i love that i do i don't want to do that i actually yeah energy more in this way and i think this could be more interesting and so she has zero context around business and business acumen and these types of things well that person because the organization brought us in we were doing some coaching with the, the whole organization and actually spent you know some time with her and trying to create some clear um alignment between what she had done before and this world now and how she already has this within her and helping her understand that you know that, that this is just human communication anyway mm-hmm she's now their top performing rep, right? Because <laughs> there's a strong onboarding program and a ramping program that got her there. She would wash out if it was one of those organizations that handed you a standard operating procedure, taught you a little bit about the product and then said, go for it. So that book, Hiring, Onboarding, and Ramping Salespeople coming out uh, around uh, Halloween.
0: Mm, I love it. And it's so important. And it's almost like the other books you guys have written, uh, it's almost like yeah, I can see why it's the you you identify it as possibly the most important one, right? Because without this, none of it, yeah, none of it matters. And and I think about my own career um, scenarios where training was great. You know, you go off site for like two or three weeks of training, and you're all fired up, and then you get to your actual desk and realize like, oh, nothing. <laughs> is like they said it was gonna be you know like the bill of goods man yeah this is crazy um so completely fired up about that and and you're right i had no clue about that that's absolutely <laughs> awesome and and thanks, and look the, yeah hey here we go <laughs> look um i i uh really can't agree with you anymore that if we want to You know, we, we, always talk about building the sales profession up and attracting, you know, people from different walks of life and well, that's great, but what the hell do we do with them once they're here? Are we setting them up for success or are we setting them up to hate sales within six months and then never look back and possibly miss out on a fulfilling career? I think that happens way more than it needs to. So It's a, it's, it's obviously a message that needs to be out there. And, um, you know, as we're coming to the end of the, the time for the episode here, I need to make sure that I ask you the same question that I ask everybody that comes on the lunch break podcast. And that that is, what is your favorite place to eat lunch?
2: (laughs) That's not fair. All right. So in full disclosure, I am one of those, uh, Sixteen by eight fasting people. <laughs> okay, so I don't usually eat lunch. However, when I do, isn't that from like the most the most interesting man in the world or whatever? <laughs> yeah I Always drink beer. Um, <laughs> I don't always eat lunch, but when I do, my favorite place for lunch, especially in San Francisco, it's been about ninety nine degrees the last two days. Well, not in San Francisco, but in the Bay Area, Jeez. it's been about uh, ninety degrees the last couple days. Um, The Raw Bar at Swan's Oyster Depot. You ever been there? No. Oh, my God. All right. So this place has been around about 100 years. It's just a counter. It's a lunch counter with all of this fresh-caught day of seafood. And they will shuck an oyster. They will crack a crab. They Mm. will, you know, stick a prawn on it, whatever it is (laughs) you want. And it is an awesome lunch on a hot day. Uh, I don't drink, but if you you want a beer, you could have a beer and a and, and a whole uh, uh, tray of oysters, and uh, that's a good lunch. That'll keep you going for a couple hours.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a reason to break a fast.
2: Yeah, I'm telling. That's you. That's
0: awesome. Well, <laughs> look, Hillman, uh, super. Fired up that that uh, you took some time to join us here, and and really appreciate all of the the stories that you shared and, and and the insight that you brought. Because I think, uh, you know there there are some things that salespeople that are on a mission to become professionals and and level up as professionals they need to be aware of. Right? It's it's uh, the idea of of identifying systems and and processes and the importance of that and uh, really, really appreciative of you taking the time for coming on.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, James.
0: Thanks so much. So with that, I'm going to wrap up episode four or five of the lunch break podcast. Speak to you guys soon.